Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Um, it is friends and family. Well, it's family day. We're having friends and actually, we, I shouldn't let that out of the bag today, but we are having friends and family days come back in October and November where we have, we've got people from this room who are going to be our special guests who are going to share their personal story of how they came to know Jesus. It's going to be awesome. You get to meet, uh, hear four of their stories, two in October, two in November. But um, when we were thinking about family day, um, the kids team came up with this idea for what they wanted me to do now that they were really excited about. I was less excited about it but we're going to try it. And so they said it would be really cool, and a lot of other churches do this with much braver pastors than I, where they have something called a secret surprise sermon. And those words, some of you know me well enough to know, being spontaneous and unplanned, not really where I thrive. I enjoy a good schedule. I enjoy a good routine. Um, yes, and some, I, I relate to a few of you and others of you who are like, a Pastor, we're going to have to loosen you up. So I'm going to go way out on a limb today because they thought this would be really fun for the kids. So here's what we're going to do. Kids, and this is what, grade K through 5, shall we say, or just any, any kid, any kid, any child in the room, I am going to, and I'll let the tech team know too, I'm going to sit down here on the edge of the stage. I want to invite all the kids in a moment. You can come up and grab a seat. And you're supposed to bring with you one object. You can already know why this made me nervous. Anything you want. It could be something you brought with you to church today. It could be something in your uh, goodie bag, in your worship bag that you brought inside of you. Bring anything that you want. You're going to come and sit up here, and then you're going to get to show me what you brought up. And I have to try and figure out one of your items that would make a good sermon. And on the spot, I have to come up with a... Let's not call it a sermon, let's call it a short devotion, because that's what it's going to be. But um, I just want to kind of see how creative you guys are and what's going on in your world. And so, um, grown-ups, just work with me, be enthusiastic, pray for me. Um, But kids, I'm going to sit down here. So kids, if you want to, I won't make you talk out loud. You don't have to say anything in a microphone or anything. But pick out an object, and when I count to three, I want you to get up from your seat and come down front. Mom and Dad, I am good with them being up here. If it looks like they're about to do something dangerous, just keep an eye out, okay? But otherwise, they can just come on up here and hang out. So one, oh boy, I already see what some of you guys are bringing. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Moms and Dads, some of you knew this was coming, and I think you set me up. All right, one, two, three. All right, come on up. Come on up. Oh boy. Hello, son. You can just sit right here. Hi, Esther. Hi, everybody. Oh, boy. What do you have? Oh. Come have a seat. Come have a seat. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's see. Let me see what everybody has. Okay. Some of you guys, I need to learn your name. Oh, oh boy. Come have a seat. Can I see this beautiful thing? This is a wrestling belt. That has been customized with Fantasy Football Champ 2020. Is this your daddy's? Hey, sweetie, is this your daddy's belt? Is this from your dad? Yes. Does he does he wear it? Does 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 your dad wear this at the house? He does. What does he tell you this belt is? Hmm. Does your mommy let him wear it a lot? 
Does he ever give your mom a turn to wear it? He does. Wow, you guys are telling me all kinds of things about your parents today. This is really, this is something. Okay, let's give this back to you. What else do we have here? What did you bring? Bought a bottle of water. See, you can stay if you'd like. I'm going to tell a story in a minute. Do you want to stick around? Do you want to wear it? Well, your dad, you know what? Tell your daddy that you probably know about as much as he does about fantasy football. And that... <laughs> And that you'd do a great, if he wants to win that belt again this year, he needs to let you start his lineup, okay? You, you're going to win it this year? Okay, it's yours? All right. So you brought a bottle of water. Yeah, hold on to that because this is, this is a good one. Hold on to that. If, if I don't get inspired, this, this can help. Okay. All right. Christopher, what do you have? You have the car keys. Now, question. You're going into what grade? Sixth grade. Okay. It was on the seat and you just grabbed it. Okay, this is, this is good parenting at work right here. Yeah, this is. Now, what, what, are, what are the rules in your house about car keys? Are you allowed to have them? No. As long, are you allowed to use them? Okay, okay, but you brought them up here. Those are nice car keys and it has a keychain on it. Okay, all right. Anna, what do you have today? Let me see this look. Oh, okay. This is a little figure that has a face made out of a soccer ball. That's also something. Okay, great. That's good. All right, uh, what else do we have here? Riley, what do you have? Oh, Riley, see, I understand. She brought a heart. Hold on to this because if I don't get inspired, this, this could be, yeah, that'll teach. That'll work. What else do we have? Tell me what your first name is. Me? me? Yeah, what's your other first name? <laughs> Noah. Noah? Okay, we have Noah and Noah. Right, and what did you bring? A sharp, pointy pencil with no... There's some good stories in the Bible about sharp things. There's some really good stories. In, oh, you could write them with this? Yes. Yeah, hold on to that because... Of, what do you have? Do you know what it is? A squishy? Yeah, let me see the squishy. Yeah, it is a squishy. But does anybody know what this actually is? A blocked up megaphone. A Okay, that was very specific, son. I appreciate that. It's a blocked up megaphone. Do you know what they, do you guys even, it's an ice cream cone? Do you even know, oh, hold up, hold up. Yeah, oh yeah, you don't need one. Um, back in the day, I don't know if, do they still use these anymore anywhere, by the way? So they do? Okay. Yeah. If you go to a, yeah, they use electric ones. Like back, like back in the 1800s, do you know, the 1800s, when I went to school, we had things, I know, right? I'm older than you thought. Okay, this is not, okay. those are facts, yeah, yeah, what, did you have one too? Well, you're bringing all kinds of stuff, belt, these things, what, did your mom and dad bring a lot of things with them today for you? Oh, and you brought a sharp thing, you have Mario, this is going well, all right, yeah, hold, hold on, I'll get to, to this guy, back in the day, when you went to a football or a basketball game, they had cheerleaders there, and they'd try and get the crowd to cheer, and they would yell through these, like, cones that they called megaphones, and it took the, at, yeah, a basketball game, oh, you watched a basketball game once? Good for you. That's fantastic. All right, you had the purple squishy. You had the yellow squishy. Um, I saved a couple of these till the end. Uh, my son, Isaiah, what do you have, buddy? Who did you bring today? And who is this? Mario. He said Mario. Yeah. That, you said this would be amazing to do a Bible story using this. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were on my team. 
oh, because video games. Yeah, because, well, tell me about video games in the Bible since you guys know so much. Where is Mario in the Bible? Uh, nowhere. But you know what, Mario? Mario's missing somebody. Mario. What's, he's missing Luigi. He's missing Luigi. Who's Luigi? His brother, his little brother. Do you know any stories in the Bible? Here we go. You know any stories about a big brother that was supposed to look out for his little brother but lost track of him? You feel like you do. Yeah, it's a little dark story. Cain and Abel. Yeah, maybe that's not the best kid's story, but we could go there if we wanted to. Here you go. Esther, what do you have today? This is what? Say it again. Wookie? Rookie. You believe it's a Pokemon? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hey, don't pull Rookie's tail. What do you know about Rookie? It's a Pokemon. Oh, you know why? It, her tag says. Well, how how do we know this is Pokemon? Is it a he or a she or a, or a, we don't know? I, I think I just stumbled into a different lesson. You said they have different genders. Okay, they don't have genders. All right. We'll work with this. This is good. This is a great idea, by the way. Thank you. Well, how do I hold up? Hold up. Well, how do we know? How do we? Hey, 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 hey. Let's, hey, can we, let's not attack each other with the megaphone. Okay. That's, that's a new rule. No, okay. Let's not attack anybody with anything. Okay. These are, you parents know sometimes you have to make rules you never thought you were going to have to make. This is one of the, well, how do we know? Where, where Rookie came from. We have, to, right, we have to read the tag. We have to get someone who knows. Hold Rookie for a second. Well, last but not last, but definitely last, what do you have here? This is a poppet. I know what these are, right? And what, and what animal is this? You guys know? What, okay, question. What's the difference? Because I don't know the answer to this. Oh, careful with that sharp ob- object near your eye, sweetheart. He had what you say? A crocodile has what? Yeah, eyeballs. Here, let's not put the sharp thing near your eyes, okay? It's actually, okay, so you're saying a crocodile has bigger eyeballs than that? What's the difference between a crocodile and an alligator? Anybody know? Okay, well, where do we, if we don't know the truth, where do we, kids, you all know this, where do we go to get the truth if we don't know? Google and the dictionary, okay. Why the dictionary? Okay, so here's where we're going to go because the ship is sinking fast. That's it. No, no, that's not. Well, let's, well, I guess we're going to go with the, we can go with the crocodile. We can go with, you know what? Let's, you want to do Mario? Everybody want Mario. Let's do Mario. All right. All right. Okay. Do the pencil. Give me the pencil. All right. Okay. Shh. Now I'm going to talk for two minutes and y'all are going to listen. Noah. Listen, you gave me the sharp object now. You should listen. Oh, you want me to take your sharp object as well? Okay, that's what I'm here for today, taking all the sharp objects. Okay. Mario has a little brother. His name is Luigi. And you know what a good big brother is supposed to do? You look out for your little brother. Right? And where is his little brother? We don't know. What's that? Okay, he's on the chair. Okay, all right. I wasn't expecting that. No, 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 no. Stay here. Okay. In the Bible, we learn about 
bunch of different brothers and sisters. Do you know any famous brothers and sisters from the Bible? We mentioned Cain and Abel. Do you know any other brothers and sisters from the Bible? No. Joseph, and how many brothers did he have? A lot. He had a lot. He had 12. And the Bible talks about sometimes brothers and sisters do not get along. Do any of you have brothers and sisters? Raise your hand if you have a brother or a sister. Okay. Okay. Okay, now put your hands down. Do you always get along with your brother and sister? Okay, you guys say very much no. Okay. Do you always get along with your brother, Chase? You won't answer. Okay, so awesome. All right. (laughs) Great idea. Listen. In the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us about two brothers that did not get along very well. And you know why? It wasn't, well, Joseph's in Genesis 37, you're right, but Cain and Abel did not get along because the younger brother, the one brother got jealous of the other brother. You know what he did when he got jealous? He hurt his brother. He actually did the worst possible thing. He killed his brother, and God went, I know, it's really, it's really dark and everything else, but it was all because we chose. And God went to the big brother and said, where is your little brother? And he said, I don't know. Was that true? That was a lie. He knew where his brother was. And God says, because you treated your brother really bad, you're going to have some consequences in your life because God expects brothers and sisters to look out for each other, and sometimes you're not going to get along. Do you get along with your siblings? You say no. Not all the time. But even when you don't get along, there's some boundaries we don't want to cross, right? You don't get along. But you understand if what keeps you guys from not getting along sometimes? What are things that make you guys not get along so well? Arguing. Arguing? About what? Anything. Oh, my goodness. Various inanimate objects. That was very specific. Over a cookie? Last month, you're really holding, last, oh, the last one, yeah. We get in arguments about that too. That is a different story. Here's the thing. The Bible, yeah, yeah, Mara, the Bible, no, no, shh. The Bible teaches us that we need to look out for our siblings and that if there's problems, we work through them. We don't get angry and we don't get upset and we don't take it out on them. And and God gave you your siblings for a reason. He gave them to you to help make you better and to complete your family. And so the thing I want to encourage you is, is to not go down the road of Cain and Abel. They're an example of how brothers and sisters do not get along. We want to go down the road of people like James and John in the New Testament. They walked close together and looked out for each other and they followed Jesus together and they became not just brothers, but really good friends for the rest of their lives. And so I'm going to leave that with you because I can tell you're starting to glaze over. I'm going to send you back to mom and dad, and we're going to tell you another Bible story in just a moment, okay? But thank you guys for coming up here. I'll give you your sharp objects back. Here's your sharp object. Here's your sharp object. Yeah, I'll save it here. Uh, You can give that to me. Okay, here you go. Here's your this. You got, what's her name again? His, its name again? Okay, I will use your, okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, son. All right, here we go. All right, got the, that was a great idea, by the way, the champion belt. Okay. All right. This is probably not my highest moment in the history of being a pastor.
that went about. I prayed more over that 10 minutes than probably any sermon I've ever created in my life, and I don't know that it was effective at all. But I love being around your kids. They're interesting. They are very, very interesting kids. Never a dull moment. Acts chapter 13, let me tell you one other story. When the kids have been with us, we've been talking about all-stars in the Bible. We've been talking about heroes in faith, and I want to tell you about two people today that we've been studying, and here the adults have been studying, our middle school and high school students have been studying about Paul and Barnabas. In Acts chapter 13, shows us the highs and the lows of their life in following Jesus. And what it teaches us is that following Jesus doesn't mean that every day is filled with good news and great things and things going perfectly. Following Jesus also means that sometimes things aren't going to go so well. And following Jesus means you're going to have days where things don't go according to plan. And the Bible records for us how Paul and Barnabas, who are two Christians, two men who love Jesus, they're saved, going to heaven. They are uh, madly in love with Jesus. They study the Bible. They pray. They tell people about Jesus. He shows how even in their life when they were doing their very best to follow him, things still didn't go totally according to plan. And last week, we left them on a spiritual high. They got on, they felt like God was sending them out to be missionaries. They got onto a boat. And remember, we talked about this last week, not a passenger boat, not a Disney cruise ship, a cargo ship. And it was three guys. It was Paul. It was Barnabas. Does anybody remember the third guy who went with them? John Mark, right. The three, first service, I said the three amigos. We won't say that because some of you don't know about that movie. It is a fantastic movie, by the way. One of the best pieces of cinema. Won multiple Oscars. Just a great, uh, great deep story. Very inspiring story of three friends. Um, Some of you have seen the movie. Others of you haven't. It's 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 a good watch. The three guys, they're sitting on top of a cargo boat. They go 50 miles across the Mediterranean Sea, and they get off on the island of Cyprus, and they get off the boat, and they say, here's our plan. We're going to go tell people about Jesus. And they start on the far east side of the island in a synagogue, and they go there, and they talk about Jesus, and they go from town to town to town to town from the east all the way to the west, and in every town they go to a synagogue and they tell people who are in the synagogue about Jesus. And they're on this awesome adventure, and and last week where we ended up, we ended up at this really high point. They meet the most powerful man on the whole island, the governor by the name of Sergius Paulus. He's a very influential man. He is the highest-ranking Roman official on the entire island. He's not a Christian when they meet him. But he's so interested to hear about Jesus that he invites Paul and Barnabas to come have a private meeting with him so they can tell him the good news of Jesus. And so when they show up for this meeting, there's another guy there, a man by the name of Elamis, who gave himself the nickname of Bar-Jesus. He was calling himself the son of Jesus. But the Bible says he wasn't really the son of Jesus. He was a false prophet. He practiced the bad kind of magic, and he was connected to demonic power, and he somehow got himself a job being really influential to Sergius Paulus. And while Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were trying to tell the governor about Jesus, this other guy, Bar-Jesus, kept interrupting them and distracting the governor and was argumentative. He was doing everything he could to make sure that Sergius Paulus didn't get to hear the lesson. 
but Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, you're not the son of Jesus. You don't know Jesus at all. You keep trying to disrupt and distort the word of God. And therefore, God is going to send a judgment against you. And you're going to lose your eyesight. And you're not going to be able to see for a while. And instantly, Bar-Jesus lost his sight. And he couldn't see. He went temporarily blind. And the governor is sitting there watching all of this, like with his jaw to the ground. And he's thinking, this is a lot to take in. Here, this guy, Elamus, says he has access to all this spiritual power, and yet these other two guys come in, and they're telling me about Jesus. They're telling me about forgiveness. They're telling me about having my life made right with God and that God has power to give to us. And not only are they teaching about it, it's flowing out of their life. And the Bible says he thought seriously about the truth of Jesus, and right then and there, Sergius Paulus decided to become a Christian. And he gave his life to Jesus. He repented for his sins. He admitted that he was a sinner. He put his belief in Jesus and he decided to make Jesus his ultimate Lord. Years later, back in the 1800s, when I went to high school, they did archaeology in that area. These are scientists who dig up the dirt and they start looking for clues about the past. And in the 1800s, they, in, in this area, they started finding all kinds of evidence and writings and, and carvings that proved this story was true. They found things in that area that date back to the first century that say Sergius Paulus was a real man. He was the government official in charge, and they also found writings from that era that says he also was very bold about saying he was a follower of Jesus the Christ, and we found archaeological evidence that says his whole family became Christians as well. And here's what I want you to understand. One person's decision changed the whole history of their family. Paul and Barnabas went out on an adventure to get their car detailed or to go tell somebody about Jesus, just like we go about our day. You have no idea the possible impact that one person coming to Jesus can have on the history of a family. I was thinking about some of our people that attend here, John and Joy Burke and Paul and Sherry. I was thinking about the lineage of your family. And, and you know, I had the privilege and the treasures many of you did of knowing John and Paul's mom, Miss Betty Burke. Didn't have the privilege of knowing their dad. But somewhere along the line, somebody told John and Paul's mom and dad about Jesus. Somewhere along the line, they made a decision to accept God's free gift of salvation and to decide to give their lives to the control of Jesus. And because of that, they made choices about how they raised their children. And I now have had the privilege of seeing John and Paul and their brother. I've also seen John and Paul's children. I also have gotten to know a lot of their grandkids, Perry and Reed and Ellis and others of their, of their grandkids. And to the best of my knowledge, all of them have made a decision to follow Jesus and are serving him today. And I don't mean to suggest that the only way they would have heard about Jesus was through their parents. But what I do want to tell you is that somebody way back in the day made a decision to share Jesus with their parents, with their mom and dad, with Miss Betty and her husband. And that changed and shaped the whole future of their family. That's how it was in my family. You know, my mom and dad both made a decision to become Christians when they were teenagers in their high school years. I think my mom, when she was around 16, my dad, I think it was closer to his senior year in high school. And I won't get all the details exactly right, but my dad did not grow up going to church regularly. He was a good guy. He was a normal teenager, had a job, worked hard. He was in a band, loved music. 
but he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And someone had the courage to invite him to a church service when I think he was a senior in high school. And he went to that church service and it was unfamiliar to him, didn't dress, didn't have the fashion like the people in the church did. But um, there was a guy in that church by the name of Noah, uh, incidentally enough, real name Noah. And he had, he saw my dad walk in and really his heart went out to him and didn't want my dad to just come one time and leave. And so um, grownups, this will make a little more sense to you. So when he found out my dad liked music, they invited him to sing in the choir, which is usually not the first thing you invite somebody to do in church. You, you know, we usually want to make sure that if you're going to be involved singing songs to God, that you have a relationship with God first. But in this church, they kind of made an exception to that rule and said, this might be a way for us to reach out to this young man. So he started singing in the choir Probably would have not kept coming to church had that man Noah not gone out of his way to make him feel comfortable and started singing the choir. And then one Sunday, the choir sat up. They would sit up on the platform behind the preacher. And I don't remember all the details because obviously I wasn't around yet. But on that Sunday, a uh, particular Sunday, uh, he just, when they got to the end of the service, they said, anybody want to follow Jesus? He said, yes. I want to do that. He got down from the choir and walked around and knelt down. And that man, Noah, and another pastor by the name of Dale came and prayed with him and led him to Jesus. And, you know, I think like a year later, he and my mom got married. And then, you know, a year after that, I was born. And because of their relationship with Jesus, it set me up from a very young age to have an example of a mom and a dad who loved Jesus. They taught me the Bible. They took me to church. Look, I was in church. My dad became a pastor, a little tiny church. Um, and his parents weren't really excited about that. They kind of said, you know, I think my grandpa, who was a pretty tough guy, real tough, hard, hard-hearted man, um, said to my dad, you know, if, if you want to get a job like a real man, we'll help you with a car and help you get an apartment. But if you want to do this religious thing and go become a, a man at the cloth or a minister, you're totally on your own. And my dad just said, well, I've decided to follow Jesus. So he worked four jobs. My mom worked two jobs. And they just made it work, and they worked hard our whole life. But I grew up maybe not having all the material things, but I had all the spiritual things. I got called to Jesus when I was young. My dad was the one who led me to the Lord. My mom taught me how to pray. My parents set me up to, to be, have that spiritual foundation so that when I was 18 and a month before graduating high school, I heard a call on God on, God on my life to go follow the gospel, not to go into the military like I was going to do, not to go, you know, not to go in the military and then get out and go into the criminal justice field. That wasn't what he had for me. He had something else. I could have found Jesus in other ways. I know that. But I'll tell you this. I go back to a man named Noah Wenger, who was a state senator in Pennsylvania that I never got to meet, and I won't get to meet this side of heaven. That man did not give up on a 17-year-old who looked out of place on his first Sunday in church. And because he did, it shaped my whole family tree because of that one man. And you think about what Paul and Barnabas did. It was not easy for them to have that conversation with Sergius Paulus. The enemy made it very difficult. But they went out of their way to talk to somebody who was open to hearing their spiritual story. And that one conversation put into motion a plan God had from the beginning. Listen, God set this all up. God moved first. God was working on my dad's heart. God was working on Mr. Noah's heart. God was working on all those situations. But I don't want you to ever underestimate that one friend that you have or that one member of your family. Don't underestimate what those decisions mean. They have a ripple effect that imp impact people's lives. And so I encourage you to position yourself just like Paul and Barnabas did in ways where you can share the truth about Jesus, his story, 
and your story that impacts people's lives. So that was a huge, huge thing for them. Can you imagine how exciting? They were totally following Jesus in this new adventure. They did not know what was going to happen. They didn't, like when Chase and I, when we go on a road trip, we, we reserve our hotels in advance. We reserve our rental cars in advance, and we go watch a baseball game. We don't just say, let's go down to the airport and buy a plane ticket to wherever we want to go, and when we get there, we'll just figure it out. Some of you spontaneous people, you love that. For me, it's like, no, I want to know where the room is. I want it triple confirmed. I want, to know, I want to know where those things are. They get on a boat and get off, and they're just like, well, we'll just work our connections and try and go into each town, and whoever we talk to is whoever we talk to. And look where they end up. They end up getting a meeting with the most important person on the island, and he says yes to Jesus. They're slapping high fives. They're having a great day. They get on a boat, and they say, let's go to the next, let's go to the next place. And so... They, they got on the boat at, at Paphos, and they set sail north to Pamphylia. And you would think that it was, it was just going to be another bunch of high points, but they run into some low points. Let me read this to you. Acts chapter 13, here's what happens next. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia. They landed at the port town of Perga. Perga was a cool city, had really big, it was a walled city. Their whole city was inside a wall. It was like if you think about building a fort, and some of you guys are really good at building forts with pillows and couch cushions. They built this huge fort, and all around the, the, the fort of the town were these marshy, swampy areas that were filled with mosquitoes. So it was like you wanted to be in town. I don't like mosquitoes. They love me. In fact, if you're ever around me when you're outdoors, you won't need bug spray. Just sit near me. They'll all come to me. They love me for some reason. But you know, you wanted to be inside the city. Well, they get out of the boat in Perga, and then one of the three, one of the three guys, John Mark, left them. And he returns to Jerusalem. Their buddy, their assistant, their traveling companion, the wealthy young guy with a good education from Jerusalem, he says, I'm out of here. And he leaves and he goes back home to his mom in Jerusalem. That's discouraging. That's disappointing. When you're doing something for the Lord and you've got a team together and someone says, you know what, I'm moving on to something else, sometimes that could be really discouraging. And it can be really frustrating. Now, I, I want to know, why did he leave? Was he homesick? Was he lonely? Was he afraid? Did he have some frequent sailor miles he needed to use up? What was, was he missing home cooking? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. There are some people that have ideas. They say, maybe he got sick or maybe he missed his mom. Most people kind of come to the conclusion, though, that he just, he got what they call cold feet. He just, he wasn't used to roughing it like this. And this was hard work. And he missed home. And he missed the security and the predictability. We don't know exactly what it was. Luke doesn't go there. But a couple chapters later, he spills the tea. A couple chapters later, Luke tells us when Paul got ready for his next missionary journey, Paul was thinking about who to take along with him. And Barnabas says, why don't we go call John Mark again and get him to go with us on trip on the second trip? And Paul says, uh-uh, no way. Remember, he deserted us the last time. So whatever it was that John Mark did, Paul thinks of this as a pretty negative thing. It showed that he had not good character, that he wasn't dependable. And the next time Paul says, absolutely not, I'm not taking John Mark. And to fast forward the story, Barnabas, who's a pretty good-natured guy, says, Paul, we need to take John Mark. And Paul says, Barnabas, I disagree. And Barnabas says, all right, I'll take Barnabas, and I'll go on my own trip. 
And Paul takes someone else, and he goes on his own trip. But all we know is that their group of three was now a group of two. So what do you do when you hit a low point? Do you give up? Verse 14, but they pressed on. Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. This is a different Antioch than the Antioch of Syria. It's 100 miles away from Perga. It's uphill in the mountain. It's cooler and drier there, not as many mosquitoes. They press on, and it says, on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for services. Now, I'm almost out of time, but here's what you need to know. Something else happened that wasn't good here that Luke doesn't write down, but Paul tells us about years later. Paul also took a turn to write out some of the history of this story a little bit later on. He writes it in his letter to the Galatians because the area they're traveling into now is the province of Galatia. And years later, he writes a letter to the churches he started in Galatia. And in one of his letters in Galatians chapter four, he says, do you remember the first time we met? A lot of you, I remember the first time I met you. I've been the pastor here for a while. And other than a handful of you, I remember the first time most of you came to the church. And we can talk about, you remember how we first connected? You remember how we first met? Paul asked the Galatians, remember how we first met? And he's referring to these events. He says, do you remember what condition I was in when I got there? He says, you remember how sick I was? I was really sick. But you didn't hold that against me. He says, you took me in and took care of me, and you were really attentive to helping me feel better. And then he makes this weird statement in Galatians chapter 4. He says, in fact, you would have taken out your own eyeballs and given them to me instead if you could have. Now, we don't know what that means. Does that mean that Paul had some sort of a sickness in his eyes that got really bad? Was it just a figure of speech to say that they would have traded places with him? Some people who study this say they think he got malaria. Maybe he got bit by mosquitoes and he was sick with malaria and had to go to get better. Other people say it was something with his eyesight. We don't know. All we know is that he was having a really good time following Jesus. And then all of a sudden, one of his three friends leaves and he gets really sick. You know what? Sometimes... We human beings get sick. It doesn't mean that God's mad at us. It doesn't mean that it's our fault. It doesn't mean, well, sometimes it does. I guess we could make ourselves sick. But it means that there's a broken, sinful world that we live in, and there's diseases and germs flying around, and we are human beings that don't have perfect bodies, and sometimes we get sick, but they pressed on anyway, and they went into the synagogue. It doesn't say they went to church. They went to synagogue for services. And this next verse is cool because it shows us what a first-century synagogue service was like. Verse 15, after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, the people in charge of the service sent this message to Paul and Barnabas. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood. Now, they're taking a risk that went really well. I took a risk today that didn't go so well. But Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. This is what a synagogue service was. Back in this day... The Jewish people didn't all live in Jerusalem. A lot of people who were Jewish, who they came from the family tree of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they didn't all live in Israel anymore. They had spread out all over the Roman Empire. And when Jewish people would settle in a new city, it was important for them to keep worshiping every Sabbath day. Now, the high priests, they stayed in Jerusalem. And the high priests were usually the ones who ran the service. And so the Jews, when they would move to a new city, they'd get together with the other people in their community that spoke their language and worshiped their God, and they would set up a synagogue space, and they would have synagogue services. The problem was none of them were rabbis. None of them were trained 
to run the service. And so what they would do is they'd have the volunteers who would set up the synagogue service and they would read from the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then they'd read from the Psalms and the prophets. They'd pray. And then what they'd do is something we don't usually do. They'd say, anybody in the group today who is the most qualified, is there anybody here who has any special training or anybody who's been to Jerusalem recently? Whoever's the most qualified speaker, would you please stand up and teach us from the scriptures we just read? And so that presented a unique opportunity for Paul because if you know anything about him, he had an awesome education. He knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. You could make a good case that he might, of all the men and women who ever lived in history, he might know the Old Testament better than anybody but Jesus. And so every time, because he learned so much of the Bible, every time that the synagogue said, would you like to get up and speak? He was ready. And so he got up and he put out his hand and he said, men of Israel which means that those of you in the room who are from the, you are ethnically and racially Jews. And those of you who are God-fearing Gentiles, these are the people who followed the God of Israel, but they weren't born from the family tree of Abraham. And they weren't fully Jews yet. They hadn't been circumcised and they hadn't totally adopted all of the Jewish, Jewish diet and holidays. They wanted, they wanted to worship God, but they felt like they couldn't be part of God's family unless they did some pretty hardcore physical things. And grown-ups in the room, you can understand if you were an adult male and you wanted to really be in God's family, and they said, yeah, you have to believe in God, but you also have to be circumcised. That's a pretty tall order. <laughs> That's a pretty tall order for, for grown-ups to have to think about. I won't read you the whole sermon because it takes about, what, 30 verses or so. But let me summarize. Paul quoted seven verses from the Old Testament. And he used the verses from the Old Testament to talk about Jesus. And some of you are thinking, well, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. He's only in the New Testament. And that's where you're wrong. All of the Old Testament is a giant arrow that points our attention to Jesus. The first couple books of the Old Testament say, we need somebody to come and fix us because we're a mess. And here's the law, and this is the best possible thing we can come up with. And the law will fix, the law gives you uh, the rules to follow and a process to follow when you sin. What the law won't do is change your heart. The law won't make you right with God. The law won't transform the way that you live. It could, the law at best can convict you and show you that you're broken, but the law by itself can't repair you. And they kept saying, we need somebody bigger and better than the law to fix us. That's what the first five books of the Bible were. Then Paul says, well, you all know the next section of the Bible. It tells about our history, we Jews. And he says, our history is not that great because our history is stories of a lot of broken, rebellious people and how patient God was with us because God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to use the Jews to bring Messiah into the world to save the world. And even though we as Jews weren't following God and we were really bad and really broken, God was faithful to us. Then he starts talking about the judges and the kings and he talks a lot about David. And he says, let me remind you, all of the prophets of the Old Testament said, here are some clues so that when the Savior comes, you'll know who he is. We don't want you to miss him. So the prophets said, watch for the guy. He's going to be a descendant of David. He is going to be rejected by all of his friends and family. He will eventually be killed for no legal reason. He'll be hung on a tree and then taken down from a tree. He will be put in a tomb. He will raise from the dead and he will be witnessed by many. 
And he's saying this in the room. The room's like, yeah, we know all those scriptures. And he takes them through seven different Old Testament scriptures. He says, he says brothers, the scriptures say we're supposed to be looking for a savior, that God promised to send us a savior who will do two things, forgive us for our sins and make us right with God. He says the law can only deal with the legal consequences, but the law can't make us right with God. And he says the prophets gave us clues so that we wouldn't miss the Savior when he comes. But he says the law, the prophets also said, be careful because when he comes, even the people who know the scriptures will reject him. And then he says, I have good news. The identity of the Savior is no longer a secret. His name is Jesus, and he's already come. And he says, here's the reason why. He says, this man, Jesus, was a descendant of David. He was rejected by his family and friends. He fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy about him. He was hung on a tree. He died on the tree. He was convicted of a, of a sin that he didn't commit. He was taken down from the tree. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And hundreds of people are alive today who witnessed his resurrection from the dead. And he says to them, this is the good news. He says to this room of people, half of whom followed the law, half of whom didn't. He says, the good news is we no longer have to follow the law to be right with God because Jesus fulfilled the law. Now we don't need that law anymore. Now we need relationship with Jesus. You don't need religion. Now you have relationship. And half of the room, the Gentiles are like, yes, this is the best news ever. We can be in God's family, but we don't have to do all these extra religious things to be accepted. We can just put our faith in Jesus. And the Jews are kind of like, let's think through this for a minute. The Jews are thinking, if you ask them, are you right with God? The Jews in the room would have said yes. And if you ask them why, they would have given you a list of things they do and they don't do. Because up to that point, that's how they maintained relationship with God. And what Paul is saying, you no longer need to practice your relationship with God that way. We need to retire some of that and build on this through Jesus. And for a lot of them, that was a big thing to swallow. It also said you need to accept all these other people that you used to think were outsiders. They're now going to be your new brothers and sisters. And the things that you think are uniquely you that makes you God's favorite, now God's leveling the playing field. He's always, you are still his chosen people, but God's going to use, God has used you, has used the chosen people, God, to bring Jesus into the world. Well, he makes this, this huge appeal, and then he gives them a warning and an invitation. Basically, what he says at the very end is, in verse 39, he says, he's, 38, he says, brothers, listen, we're here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness for your sins, and everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. But then he gives them a warning. He says, but I want you to be careful. He says, I want you to think about our ancestors. All of them worshiped in synagogue. All of them prayed. All of them gave a third of their money to the Lord. All of them knew the scriptures inside and out. And yet all of them rejected Jesus when he came. And he's saying to them, don't, don't make that mistake. He's looking at the people in the room and saying, you know the scriptures. You come to synagogue every week. You pray, you give. But unless you accept Jesus, your religion won't get you into heaven. It's your faith. And I want to leave you with these two thoughts. If you want God to change you dramatically, put your faith in Jesus, not in religion.
If you want to be changed by Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, not religion. I'm trying to think of how to put this in terms that everybody can understand, and I'm not sure if I can get there the whole way, but I'd say it this way. I know many people who I say, are you a Christian? Yes. How do you know? And I can usually tell from their answer whether their relationship with God, it's based on a faith in Jesus or it's based on religion or resume or performance. Because sometimes I hear this, well, how do, you, how do you know that you're saved? Well, I recited some words, I made some changes, and I do some things differently is basically what I hear. And I want to remind you that the audience Paul was speaking to all probably knew the Bible better than most of us. They knew the scriptures. They prayed to the same God you and I pray to. They studied the word. They came to synagogue every Sabbath, not, when the, not just when the Ravens were out of town. They were here every week, okay? They gave up to a third of their income they gave. And yet Paul says to them, unless you put your faith in Jesus, your resume won't get you into heaven because they would say, but I follow the law. I do the do's. I don't the don'ts. I give. I pray. I check off all the boxes. And Paul says, here's the good news and the bad news. Your resume is not good with him. Our resume is like filthy rags and because it's a adult audience, I won't give you the true breakdown of what that meant. It's a pretty horrifying image, but it's, you can't be made right with God by your religion. And I run into so many people who think the only reason you're right with God is because of a bunch of stuff that you've done or that you still do. And you know what I run into is when people have a relationship with God based on religion, you're drained Following Jesus religiously is stressful because you think if I don't do these things, he's mad at me and he'll only be happy with me if I do these things. That's not what it is. You can't put your faith in religion and have a vital, vibrant relationship with Jesus. I know lots of people who do some things and check some boxes, but when it comes right down to it, you know, I ask other people, how do you know, how do you know you're Christian? They say, because I've experienced Jesus for myself. I've encountered him. I believe in him, and he's my Lord. I live his way. And usually with that person, you can ask the next question. That's fine. Do you enjoy him? I know you say you know him, but do you enjoy him? And some people, I don't really enjoy, I don't really enjoy studying my Bible. I don't really enjoy his presence. I don't really enjoy prayer. What do you think heaven is? If you don't enjoy Jesus' presence, you're doing something not right. Your flesh hates being and God's presence, but your spirit loves it. Your spirit loves being with Jesus. Your spirit loves hearing from him. And that leads me to the last thing I want to leave with you this morning. It leads me to the thing I'm leaving with you this morning. The last thing I see from Paul. If you want God to use you powerfully, learn all of the Bible you possibly can. How was Paul ready for this moment? He spent time every day studying the scriptures. Listen, at the end of the day, as basic as I can make it, is if you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you know Jesus, here's the daily diet for you. Read a little bit of the Bible every day and pray as much as you can. Read a little bit of the Bible every day and pray as much as you can. I know no Christian who's making progress in their faith who doesn't read their Bible and pray. The people who I talk to 
who are having breakthroughs in their life, every single one of them, I'd name them today if I felt like I could. You know what? They're all studying a little bit of their Bible every day and they spend time praying. But when do they pray? At planned times and unplanned times, out loud and silent, while they're working and while they're by themselves. There's just a constant dialogue of prayer. They're connecting to the Lord. They're listening to him. He's listening to them. They're tuned into God throughout the day. That's how you make it through the highs and the lows. Moms and dads, do your kids hear you pray? In fact, kids, listen up. Here's what I want you to do. Kids, on the way home today, I want you to ask the person who brought you when the next time your family is, can pray together. I want you to ask them that. Put them on the spot. Mom and Dad, I heard what Pastor Phil said today, and he said it's important that we pray as a family. So can you tell us the next time we're going to pray as a family? And, we, and I'm glad you pray for dinner, but I want you to pray at a different time too. Well, Pastor, how does it go? We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.